0: This is guns and butter.
1: A banker told me two years ago that there had been a, an intellectual breakthrough in understanding for the banks that uh, changed the whole way they did business. And uh, he looked at me and his eyes widened. This was in England and he said, "We found the poor are honest. And then he laughed uproariously as if, how dumb can you be? Uh, the belief is that the poorer you are, the more you believe, as a matter of honor, that you have to repay the debt that you owe. Uh, it's the opposite of Donald Trump.
0: I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, America, host or parasite? Dr. Hudson is president of the Institute for the Study of Long-Term Economic Trend. He is a Wall Street financial analyst and distinguished research professor of economics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. His 1972 book, Superimperialism, The Economic Strategy of American Empire, is a critique of how the United States exploited foreign economies through the IMF and World Bank. He is also author of The Myth of Aid and Global Fracture, The New International Economic Order. Dr. Hudson begins by discussing how the U.S. alone is able to create its own credit through the balance of payments trade deficit, that is, the trillions of dollars flowing from foreign central banks back into the United States in the purchase of U.S. Treasury notes finances the U.S. national debt and war abroad. This debt will never be repaid. Michael Hudson, welcome. Thank you. I'd like you to talk about the framework of how the United States dominates the world financially. Since the United States is a debtor nation, how can it dominate the world financially?
1: That's the unique situation today. The United States uh, dominates third world countries by being a creditor, and after World War I, it dominated Europe also by being a creditor. But what happened since 1971, when the United States went off gold, was something that uh, even the government didn't anticipate. It was almost an accidental form of monetary imperialism. Once uh, countries couldn't get gold anymore for their for the U.S. dollars, when the U.S. consumer Imports more from abroad, the consumers spend these dollars and they end up in the hands of foreign sellers who turn the dollars over to their central bank for domestic currency. When American investors buy a company abroad, uh, the recipient of this money turns over uh, the dollars to the central bank. The central bank then has a problem: uh, What is it going to do with these dollars? Uh, central banks don 't buy uh, companies and they don't buy exports, and they really don't buy stocks either. What they buy are uh, sound investments in the form of U.S. Treasury bills. And this means that the larger the U.S. balance of payments deficit becomes, the more dollars are turned over to foreign central banks, and the more uh, dollars these foreign central banks invest in Treasury bills. And what that means is that over the last decade, the Foreign central banks have bought so many treasury bills that they've been financing America's balance of payments deficit, not American uh, consumers or Americans themselves. So it means that all this budget deficit that people have talked about uh, the bush administration 's uh, budget deficit, even the reagan uh, bush administration 's quintupling of the deficit in the '80s this is financed by foreign central banks, meaning foreign taxpayers, not by american taxpayers and there 's no constraint there is nothing these foreign central banks can do with the dollars except either refuse them, in which case their currency goes way up, and uh, their exports are priced out of the market or ex- Except uh, an infinite number of dollars and uh, finance the U.S. budget deficit.
0: Now, why is it that the central banks of other countries are buying U.S. Treasury bonds? Why don't they buy something else?
1: Well, because that's not what central banks do. Uh, what else really can they buy? Uh, that's the problem. When China got these dollars, it tried to recycle them in the form of buying a U.S. industry. For instance, if American companies are buying Chinese companies, put the dollars in the hands of Chinese, and the Chinese recipients turn them over to the Bank of China, why can't the Bank of China turn around and buy American uh, industries? The Americans said, no, we will not let Sinuk, the uh, uh, Chinese oil authority, buy uh, American Oil companies. Similarly, in right after I wrote my book on super imperialism in 1972, the oil war occurred when the OPEC countries quadrupled oil prices in response to America's quadrupling of grain prices. The American Treasury went over to Saudi Arabia and other Arab countries and said uh, they can charge whatever they want for the oil. And as a matter of fact, uh, they were quite happy that uh, oil prices were quadrupled because that made uh, much more money for Exxon and for other uh, American oil companies. However, if the uh, Saudi Arabians and the other oil OPEC countries did not recycle their money into Treasury bills, this would be considered an act of war and these countries would be wiped out. Needless to say, Saudi Arabia and the others dutifully bought minority shares of the U.S. stock market. They bought shares in Citibank, uh, a million shares here. They bought a million shares of all the big companies, but in a minority ownership, not majority ownership so they weren 't able to do very much with this. They were just uh, they were passive investors, not active investors and the same thing with China. China now has a trillion dollars worth of u uh, s treasury bonds. It would love to spend this money somewhere it 's been trying to spend them buying raw materials resources in South America africa and other countries Uh, all the central banks are trying to get rid of these dollars like a a hot potato because the u.s. government will not let them do anything with the dollars Uh, it's already announced it has no intention of repaying its foreign debt so uh... the dollars are sort of uh... essentially worthless they're backed only by american military power
0: Exactly. You have written that this debt, this huge debt of the United States government that it owes to foreign governments for these treasury notes, that this debt is never going to be repaid and that these countries know this, but they continue to, they are compelled to buy these treasury bonds. And that through the debt, the United States is the only country that's creating its own credit out of this compulsory debt.
1: That's exactly what's happening. Other countries have not figured out uh, a response to this yet. The only response that really they could do would be to refuse to accept further dollars, uh, refuse to let their companies be sold out to Americans, and instead of exporting to the United States for dollars that cannot be spent, try to develop their internal market. Uh, Germany, for instance, is impovering its domestic market. There's mass unemployment there, and it refuses to uh, build up the domestic market. It produces for export, and all it gets are these unpayable dollars. Uh, There's no way that America could repay a trillion dollars, even if it wanted to because uh, that would mean that Americans would have to work for the next 20 years uh, as servants of foreign countries, and uh, America has always put its interests first. In a way, there's nothing wrong with America putting its interests first. In theory, if every country uh, acted in its own self-interest, there'd be checks and balances, and uh, a rough equality would occur in the world. But the amazing thing is that in today's world, the United States is the only country acting in its own self-interest. And in that sense, one can put the blame on uh, Europe, on Japan, on Russia, and on China, and on the third world, just as much as one can blame America. You can't blame a country for acting in its own self-interest and getting a free ride if other countries do nothing whatsoever to stop it.
0: Now, are these other countries compelled to export to the United States in order to keep their own economies afloat? Is that part of the problem?
1: No, it's not part of the problem at all. If you have an impoverished domestic market, as Germany has, there's no reason why you can't run a budget deficit, or have the government make internal improvements, or expand the domestic market. Uh, when America's economy turns down, the government does counter-cyclical spending, it runs a budget deficit, and it reflates the economy to get full employment. Uh, other countries do not believe this. Other countries believe that it's a good idea to impoverish their labor, and the, the governments of Europe are so viciously right-wing, more right-wing than anyone could be in the United States. They make the Republicans look like liberals. Uh, Their anti-labor policy is so extreme that they are happy to impoverish their domestic market, even at the price of giving away their economic surplus to the United States.
0: Now, why is this? Why don't other countries, why can't they or why don't they break out of this system if it's in their own self-interest?
1: Because they choose to be poor. They believe that poverty is in their self-interest. Economically, they're taught that the lower labor is paid, uh, the more of an economic surplus there is, and the better it is. They're uh, thoroughly brainwashed by neoliberalism. They want to be poor. That's their choice. The United States is not even forcing it on them, not making any threats at all. They are poor by choice.
0: But that seems so counterintuitive. How could people accept that?
1: Uh, When I talk to my students over there, They get angry at the situation, they want to change it, and uh, they're not able to. The politicians themselves are uh, financed so heavily by the Americans that uh, uh, various foundations, such as the Soros Foundation, that they've decided basically to sell out their countries.
0: So really, then, the United States and its think tanks, etc., are behind this so, I mean, would you call it brainwashing?
1: You could. Uh, essentially, this is the University of Chicago school of free markets, and the free marketers have the political genius to realize that the only way that you could have free markets, by which I mean anti-labor markets, is to, c- to close down all opposition and all alternative theory. For instance, when the uh, University of Chicago boys went to Chile in 1974 after uh, Pinochet overthrew the democracy, uh, the first thing the Chicago boys did was close down every economics department in the country except for the Catholic University in uh, the capital. The second thing they did was close down every social science department and to fascinate every major labor leader, throw them to jail, or exhale them. The third thing they did was establish, with uh, U.S. CIA help, an agreement with Argentina, Uruguay, and other countries to assassinate every left-winger there. There were hundreds of thousands of people who had to leave, flee, or be killed. And uh, the people were told there was only one economics theory, and that is the Chicago theory. And... uh the students there did not have an alternative. There's not even a knowledge over there that uh, there is an alternative to this poverty is uh, wealth theory that the Chicago boys have. In this country, in economics, uh, in almost every university except where I teach at uh, uh, the University of Missouri in Kansas City, the history of economic thought has been wiped out of the curriculum uh... it's been replaced by mathematics and so students uh... not only no longer uh, have to take economic history they do not have to take the history of economic thought where there was both the keynesian theory taught and the classical economic theory that uh, economics is really all about how to get a free lunch, and the government should essentially prevent a free lunch by taxing it away, whether it's in real estate or monopolies or uh, privatization or other insider dealing. Uh, This theory isn't even taught in the United States, so students can go all the way through school getting a Ph.D. and uh, never come across uh, the teachings of John Stuart Mill, David Ricardo, Henry George, not to mention Marx and the socialists.
0: So could you talk a bit more about the United States' balance of payments deficit? And this trade deficit is what funds the federal, the budget deficit. They're twin deficits.
1: Uh, The larger the trade deficit, the more dollars end up in the hands of foreign economies. Uh, When they end up in foreign economies, the uh, exporters from these countries or the uh, people who are selling the companies to americans turn the dollars over to the central bank The central bank then buys U.S. Treasury bonds to finance the U.S. domestic budget deficit. So while the U.S. government is running a budget deficit to uh, essentially keep the American economy at full employment levels, these other countries don't. And in fact, it's illegal under the terms of the European uh, Union. To join the euro, you have to agree not to run a budget deficit of more than 3% of gross domestic product. GDP. That prevents these countries from following an anti cyclical uh, policy such as the United States uh, follows whenever it goes into recession. Uh, The situation is much worse in the Baltic countries and the former Soviet countries because, under uh, Russian domination, the Soviet countries did not have much infrastructure and they didn't have much construction. There's no way in which this infrastructure can be built uh, in the form of transportation, power production, all of the basic natural monopolies that were uh, public enterprise in Europe and uh, still are in Scandinavia and other countries, there's no way this infrastructure can be built up without uh, the government doing it. But the uh, 3% limit prevents governments from putting in place uh, the kind of transportation, power production, uh, other basic essentials that uh, you find uh, in say, Scandinavia or Western Europe. So the former Soviet countries are doomed to underdevelopment by this rule if they join the Euro, which they want to do.
0: Now, I didn't realize that the European nations were held to a 3% deficit because I thought that the United States government, from reading some of the stuff that you have written, treats creditor nations differently than they do debtor nations. For instance, you talk about the Washington Consensus and uh, the IMF and the World Bank and their dealings with the so-called Third World, which are debtor nations, which are held to structural adjustment. And in order to repay these loans, that they then have to um, cancel social programs, sell off right. their state industries. They
1: industry. have to run budget surpluses. Uh, to deflate the economy, to keep the economy poor, on the theory that the poorer they keep the economy, the more they'll be able to export. And, of course, that doesn't work out in practice at all. The poorer the economy is, the more dependent they become on imports because there's no sufficient domestic market to warrant new investment.
0: Now, is another reason why other countries go along with this system – that if the system came down, for instance, would it take everybody else down with it?
1: No, it wouldn't take it. It doesn't have to take anybody down.
0: Oh, okay. Well then, that's just, it's so hard to understand.
1: They're not acting in their own self-interest, and of course the assumption of all the economic models, and even the political models, is that uh, people act in their self-interest, countries act in the self-interest, and that isn't happening today.
0: I'm speaking with economist, author and professor Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, America: Host or Parasite. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Could you talk about the former Soviet Union and the dissolution of the former Soviet Union under uh, Yeltsin, the oligarchs and the uh, privatization essentially?
1: Well, there's something very strange about the writing about that. Uh, Most people are aware that uh, Yeltsin, uh, in order to get political support for his uh, dictatorship, gave away the oil and the other resources and the electric company, just about everything, to uh, private operators called his family. What's not realized is that even countries that didn't have drunken dictators did exactly the same thing. Latvia, Estonia, uh, Lithuania are all elective democracies. And in each case, the same thing happened there. The uh, members of the local communist party uh, under the Soviet Union became an elite of insiders and privatized everything in their own name. The same thing happened in Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan. In all of the Soviet republics, an identical phenomenon happened to what happened in Russia, that uh, the public domain was given away to insiders, uh, just like in the United States, uh, the Western lands were given away to the railroads in exchange for their building railroads. So right after America's independence, you had the Yahoo land claims, where uh, political insiders gave themselves a lot of public land. The same thing happened everywhere, almost spontaneously, it seems, and yet uh, now it turns out that there were American advisors everywhere uh, advising these governments that uh, all you needed to do was give away property. And- And the recipients would suddenly act as uh, enlightened capitalists and uh, develop the country. Well, of course, what they did in practice was sell out their rights to uh, American and European investors and uh, keep the money abroad and uh, then leave themselves Uh, wherever they could, so that they'd be out of reach of the tax authorities and the criminal authorities. So essentially, you had uh, the biggest ripoff in history occurring after uh, 1991, after the Soviet Union fell apart. It was very much like Europe's discovery of the New World, where uh, all of this property was for taking, and most of the property was in the public domain. Uh, You had enterprises being taken over by what were called red directors. Whoever was the factory owner would... uh, essentially, just register the factory in their own name. Uh, The gas company was turned over to the gas company's directors uh, in Russia, Chernomardin and uh, the other gas people became uh, billionaires. Essentially, Russia's government would deposit their money in the banks of their political supporters. The banks would use this money to... uh, pay for uh, north nickel and for uh, mineral deposits. The government would uh, take the check, and then it would redeposit the check in the bank. So essentially, the banks lent the money to the government, uh, that relent the money to the banks, and they got everything for nothing. The dress rehearsal for all this was, of course, what Chicago boys did in Chile, under Pinochet, uh, where exactly the same thing happened, Uh, a giveaway of uh, public enterprises, although the copper industry was not given away.
0: Can you explain why the Russians would take advice from the U.S. government and the IMF and the World Bank? That doesn't make a lot of sense. It seems
1: that they were so disillusioned with Stalinism that they believed that uh, there were only two systems, the communist system that they knew uh, that didn't work and the capitalist system. And they didn't realize that there were as many different kinds of capitalism as there were societies between, say, Japan. Western Europe, England, uh, and the United States, uh, and Latin America. They didn't realize there were many kinds of capitalism. And what they bought into was, was uh, really Western finance capitalism that was a, a Uh, travesty of how the United States had developed its own wealth. Uh, In the United States, there are all sorts of uh, checks and balances to prevent individuals from profiteering by grabbing public property. None of this existed in Russia. And in fact, uh, what uh, neoliberalism uh, proposed for Russia and what the Russians believed the Americans were telling them uh, to be the path that America got rich was really the path for America to get rich off them. Uh, not for them to get rich. And the oligarchs very quickly understood this because the only way that they'd been able to survive under the uh, Soviet Union was essentially by embezzling. And uh, they be- they were masters at embezzling and making false balance sheets and doing insider deals because that that's how you survived, whether it was in Russia or East Germany uh, or the Baltic states. And uh, they very quickly... Uh, saw that uh, the West was going to support them in this. And uh, the first thing the West came in was saying, unlike the United States, that has progressive taxation, you have to tax the poor more than the rich. The poor you are in uh, the Soviet Union and Latvia and other countries, the higher you're taxed. It's the regressive taxation. There is virtually no tax on property, no real estate tax to speak of. We're talking a uh, 0.1% of the property is the assessed value on the balance sheets because they uh, haven't really updated the property uh, statements in the last 15 years. So, what they were told was liberal free market policy was uh, something that didn't exist anywhere in the West. And they bought it because when I say they bought it, uh, the insiders uh, of government bought it because they said, my God, with a system like this, no tax on property, and they just give give us the property saying this will make us capitalists, this is something we can't refuse. This is a wonderful free lunch. Uh, We're all for free markets, and uh, free markets under these senses of uh, just giving away uh, billions of dollars freely to uh, insiders and making uh, billionaires in one country after another was... uh, too nice uh, a prize to refuse. It was pushed by the World Bank, and the World Bank essentially came in and said, look, follow our advice, and uh, you can be a billionaire, uh, and uh, we expect you to to cover your position by selling your ownership to us. You can buy all of these properties on one cent on a dollar, sell them to Western investors at two cents on a dollar, you'll get rich in no time.
0: So corruption was obviously a big part of it.
1: That's free markets. When uh, Milton Friedman said there's no such thing as a free lunch, what he was saying is, don't look here, uh, look elsewhere. It was a uh, diversionary tactic to distract attention away from the fact that economies are all about how to get a free lunch.
0: Now, Vladimir Putin had the head of the Yukos Oil arrested and put in jail, could you talk a little bit about that, and what is your assessment of Vladimir Putin?
1: Well, first of all, he had Katerkowski put in jail because Katerkowski had been embezzling billions of dollars. He was the richest person in Russia. Uh, He was guilty of tax evasion and uh, had mounted a a political campaign that was about to engage in, uh, for all we know, the kind of assassination and terrorism that the right wing did elsewhere. The right wing in Russia was explicitly an admirer of uh, Pinochet, and they even called themselves Pinochetistas, Uh, in Russia. Putin said, my God, this means the end of government. Uh, Karakoski said, I'm going to run against Putin, and I'm going to abolish the government. There will only be corporations running Russia. So Putin was absolutely correct to put Khodorkovsky in jail. And uh, any charade that America is defending democracy when it's defending a would-be pinochet in Russia just shows the hypocrisy of uh, uh, the foreign policy. Putin uh, stopped the bleeding that Yeltsin began, and he stopped it in a way that essentially prevented himself from being assassinated. He made a deal with the oligarchs. He said, OK, you stole public property fair and square. You get to keep it. But we expect you to do what the Americans said you were going to do with the property. You're going to have to use it to expand the economy as a whole, and you'll have to invest it. You can keep what you make as long as you act as Russians and invest in expanding the economy. I'm going to let you keep it. But if you're going to try to dismantle the state, dismantle the government, and create anarchy, then uh, I know that all of you have uh, embezzled money. I know that all of you have uh, filed false tax returns. Last week, uh, Putin moved against the PricewaterhouseCoopers for helping Yukos falsify the tax returns. And uh, he said, you know that we know what you've done. Uh, We expect you to be as good citizens or we'll actually enforce the law against uh, you, too. Well, uh, the Wall Street Journal and other uh, financial organs say, well, you're being selective. And Putin said, yes, I am being selective. Uh, I can't arrest all of the oligarchs. I can't uh, arrest all of the people who've privatized industry, but I, I am going to arrest those who seek to dismantle the government.
0: You have also written about a group of American economists who in the early 90s actually sent a letter to the Russian government advising them to apply a rent tax or a rent of land.
1: Yes, there were two ways that Russia could have developed. The letter was written primarily by uh, Nicholas Tiedemann, who was a follower of Henry George, uh, and it was signed by other leading Georgist economists, but also by a number of Nobel Prize winners. And uh, they said, look, Russia has, right now, its manufacturing and its industry are not efficiently run because it doesn't have any market feedbacks. Uh, Russia never tried to develop market socialism, such as China's trying to develop. Uh, they said, uh, Russia has a huge patrimony for its people, and that's its mineral wealth and its real estate. And the largest asset in every modern economy, even industrial economies such as the United States, is real estate. Uh, About three-quarters of American wealth takes the form of real estate. So the economists had suggested to Russia, you should basically not tax labor uh, not tax industry because you want capital formation to occur. Uh, you should tax uh, the land and the national resources because these resources are created by nature, not by individuals. And if you tax the land's rental value, you're not increasing the price of rent. All you can tax is what a property uh, rents for. You can't sort of add to the cost. Whereas if you tax labor, you're going to increase its price. In Latvia, there is a 49% flat tax on labor, uh, supplemented by another 7% or so, so that uh, you have a huge cost. Uh, uh, labor's taxed, uh, industry's taxed by uh, the turnover tax. Property and speculation is not taxed. Uh, the idea was to avoid this for Russia, to uh, tax the free lunch, uh, which is already provided by nature, not tax investment, and uh, the idea was that this would make Russia a competitive economy. And in fact, in uh, way back in 1945, when there were plans uh, for America to join the World Bank and the IMF, the United States State Department and other government agencies said, we're afraid of competition from Russia. We're afraid that uh, because Russia doesn't have a finance capitalist class, because it doesn't have a property class, it can supply rent at uh, a very low price, and uh, it can supply land, it can supply housing, it can supply office space, and it can supply l- low-cost uh, credit, and they can out-compete with them. We'd better not let them trade with the West. So that was really what the Cold War was all about. It was uh, uh, it was a nationalistic war, fearing that Russia could undersell the United States, and in fact, its labor lived very well there because they had subsidized housing subsidized uh, hot water, most of what Americans pay in housing, which is now 40% of uh, the budget for much blue-collar labor, was only a small portion of the budget in Russia, just as it's a small, maybe 20% of the budget, say, in Germany today. Uh, The Americans in 1991 went to Russia, and their objective was to cripple Russian industry so that without an industry, Russia could not be a potential military threat in the Cold War. The idea was to make Russia the highest-cost country in the world, not a low-cost country. And so uh, the idea was to impose a flat tax on Russian labor and industry, which Russia adopted, not tax its property, and warp Russia into a caricature of a finance capitalist economy. And uh, that's pretty much what happened.
0: Yes, you wrote that the Washington-backed destruction of Russian industry and nurturing of an oligarchic class was the final stage of the Cold War.
1: That's, that's what happened and russia didn 't realize Russia somehow thought that America actually was the advisors who were there to help it and uh, Nick Tiedemann and uh, his group brought me to a lecture before the Duma on a number of occasions uh, explaining the rent tax and we were working with Russian politicians, trying to get this alternative to kleptocracy over there and uh, The Americans who met with the World Bank, who supported this, were told by the World Bank, uh, yes, we agree that your plan is how a country really should develop. That's not our plan for Russia. The World Bank, since uh, Robert McNamara, has been essentially a part of the U.S. Defense Department. Uh, It's been part of America's military strategy. Its aim is to underdevelop other countries and to promote underdevelopment and dependency, not independence. And uh, until other countries realize that uh, the function of the World Bank is to destroy their economies, and the function of the IMF is to uh, impose austerity programs that prevent their economies from growing, the rest of the world will be self-imposed poverty.
0: I'm speaking with economist, author, and professor, Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, America, Host or Parasite? I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. How are these wars financed, bringing it back to the U.S. deficits?
1: China and Europe have financed uh, entirely the war in uh, the Near East. Uh, so obviously, they're financed by American spending dollars. And uh, the dollars, as they're spent, end up in the central banks of China, Japan, England, and Europe. Uh, So they are financing America's war. America doesn't have to pay a penny to finance its war. All it has to uh, do is send enough soldiers over there. And in fact, the war has become part of the Republican National Committee because the Expenditure by the Pentagon is directed to Republican campaign contributors. So essentially, the war in Iraq has been the biggest means of securing political contributions for the coming electoral campaign there can be. And the joke is that Iraq is now the 13th Federal Reserve uh, District.
0: Now, that brings me to the question of what the real aim of these wars are. What's the rationale? Why are these wars happening?
1: There are a number of reasons for it. Wars rarely happen for just one reason anymore. In one sense, it's the same rationale that was behind the Vietnam War, a very crude rationale that uh, you want to show that any country that doesn't do what America tells them to will be wiped out uh, with uh, the kind of weaponry Americans using in Iraq. Uh, So there was a demonstration effect there. Uh, Another reason was that America wanted to not only grab the oil, but put its military bases in a position to control near eastern oil and make sure that uh, this oil could be under american control so if europe would act in its own self-interest europe could be starved off be deprived of oil the basic premise is that all uh, the economic surplus in the rest of the world should be turned over to the u.s. economy and foreign countries should supply any deficit that the u.s. has whether it's in oil or raw materials or, or money, and countries that uh, sought to withdraw from this system would, would suffer sanctions, withdrawal of oil, military attack, and the kind of assassination that America now engages in uh, almost uh, on a weekly basis.
0: Dr. Hudson, let's now look at the domestic real estate market here in the United States. The New York Times just yesterday on Sunday, March 11th, Uh, ran an article called Crisis Looms in Market for Mortgages, and it is a lengthy article, and one of the main topics in this article is subprime lending. What is subprime mortgage lending?
1: In the past, uh, families that bought property had to put down about 20% of the purchase price, and uh, they'd get a mortgage uh, for about uh, 30 years. And the limit was that the mortgage wouldn't go beyond about 25% of their income because that was deemed to be what people could afford. Uh, Subprime lending means that you make loans for the entire purchase price, no down payment whatsoever. Uh, You can make interest-only loans so that uh, there's no amortization. The loans technically never have to be paid off, but only uh, the carrying charges have to be carried. And uh, the borrower, the mortgage borrower, doesn't really have to have their income checked at all. They'll leave the income, either blank or they can put whatever number they want. Uh, Usually it's put in by the uh, uh, bank officer that says, well, if you want to borrow uh, this much money, here's how much income you have to earn in order to justify the mortgage. Let me put that number in for you or you put the number in. So uh, a subprime mortgage is a mortgage that the borrower really can't afford to pay. And where the bank knows or has a a good expectation that the mortgage will go bad. And after the uh, borrower pays as much as they can, Uh, then the bank can come in, foreclose, and get property, which in principle is supposed to keep rising in price as the real estate bubble is inflated.
0: Now it seems that 35 percent of all mortgage securities issued uh, this year were in that category.
1: That's right, because the reason is that speculators uh, last year formed about fourteen percent of the market and uh... they withdrew from the market so you have this essentially free credit banks can borrow money uh... from the fed or they can create credit at about four percent they can make mortgages at about over six percent and they can buy default insurance for about three-quarters of a percent and that means it pays them just to go on writing mortgage loans whether or not these mortgage loans will be repaid, because they buy the default insurance, uh, to anybody who will uh, be willing to sign a paper. And as one banker explained to me, they know that there's no way in which the borrower, even a commercial borrower, uh, can repay the loan. But if they don't make the loan, somebody else will, and uh, they can buy mortgage insurance in any case. So the problem's going to be with the company doing the insurance. And, of course, right now the mortgage insurance companies are going bankrupt. The uh, mortgage brokers who have originated the loans in many cases are now being wiped out. One of the worst offenders, uh, New Century, has uh, announced that it's probably facing bankruptcy and trading has been stopped uh, today on the New York Stock Exchange in its stock. So uh, now uh, it turns out that the... uh, people who couldn't afford to pay the mortgage. Indeed, the economy realizes they can't, and the institutional investors who've bought these packaged mortgages realize that uh, they can't really collect from the companies that guaranteed them because the companies themselves are going bankrupt. Uh, That doesn't mean bad news for the uh, actual operators of the companies. For instance, suppose that I ran... Let's say I ran something called the Subprime Mortgage Company. I could uh, make these uh, loans, hundreds of millions of dollars. I could make billions of dollars worth of loans. I could borrow the money at 4% and get insurance for three-quarters, lend out for a high interest rate of, say, 7% or 7 and three-quarters. I could get 3% on hundreds of billions of dollars. I could pay myself $5 million a year salary. I could give myself a stock option worth $50 million and... uh, all of that sort of fair and square, and then when the loans finally go bad and uh, the companies uh, say, well, I'm sorry your loans have gone bad, you'll have to take these loans back, I can say, gee, I'm sorry, I've paid myself so much salary, I've given myself so many stock options that there's no money left in the company. Uh, I did have a high expense account, unfortunately, and so I guess the company's going to go bankrupt. Uh, The company's under, but uh, the offices of the company are all multimillionaires as a result of uh, what they've done for the last few years. So essentially, Eventually, they're walking away from the property just like the landlords uh, walk away from the property when uh, the property loses money, and uh, the institutional investors who've bought these packaged loans are in trouble.
0: Well, exactly. It says that Wall Street now has 60% of the mortgage financing market. It's become much more of a trading market, big profits, because uh, I guess the interest rates on these loans are higher than regular mortgage rates. But then if these securities are downgraded, then people will liquidate, and then uh, the thing will crash, won't it?
1: Yes. Uh, Here's the problem. There are a number of rating companies, such as Fitch Rating and Moody's and Standard and Poor's, and they rate securities uh, and also companies. And the best company is AAA, and BBB Minus is pretty bad, and then you get down to C, and D means just uh, near bankrupt. If a company is not rated at a high grade, then institutional investors such as pension funds that have a fiduciary responsibility to protect their clients aren't allowed to hold these securities anymore. So they're required by law when there's a downgrading of a security below low risk uh, level, they have to sell these. So all of a sudden, all of these packaged mortgages are being thrown onto the market and uh, at distressed prices. And, uh, the price is, is uh, falling rapidly. A lot of gamblers have done derivatives trades on these. That is, they've gambled that the price would only fall a little bit. And so they're losing money and they can't meet their promises. So right down the line, uh, one company or one institution after another defaults on its obligation and there's a break in the chain of payment. And uh, that's what happens traditionally to trigger economic collapses.
0: Now, where is this all going to end up? We keep reading that the real estate market has been what has kept the domestic economy afloat. How big of a proportion are... What- I, th-
1: I think America has to sell about uh, $200 trillion of bad mortgages to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> 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 that's that's what, There are many solutions like that. In other words, uh, they'll go to Saudi Arabia and say, I'm terribly sorry, but in order to protect you, you have to uh, take all of these bad loans. Otherwise, we'll kill you uh, offer they can't refuse that's the That's the kind of uh, toughness that uh, uh usually gets america through these through these things
0: well, from what you've been saying about other countries, it almost sounds like a realistic option
1: uh indeed. Uh, Nobody can really tell where it's going because uh, when there's a break in the chain of payments, the first thing that occurs is people find fraud all over the place. They find embezzlements that have been covered over when things are going well. But uh, whenever there's a break, you find that there's been massive embezzlement, falsification of documents, and fraud going on, and that's what's been occurring here.
0: Now, do you think that when all of these loans go bad, the the bad ones, that is, uh, do the banks then repossess? Is that what they're going to do? They may,
1: or they'll, what they'll do is just, they'll go to the, uh, a, number, a banker told me two years ago that there'd been a, an intellectual breakthrough in understanding for the banks that uh, changed the whole way they did business. And uh, he looked at me, and his eyes widened, this was in England, and he said, we found the poor are honest. And then he laughed uproariously as if, how dumb can you be? Uh, The belief is that the poorer you are, the more you believe, as a matter of honor, that you have to repay the debt that you owe. Uh, It's the opposite of Donald Trump, uh, who essentially, whenever he can't pay, he goes to the bank and says, boy, you're really in trouble. I can't pay the loan. Let's renegotiate it. I'll give you 50 cents on the dollar. And he was able to do that for instance, for his Atlantic City uh, properties when they went bad. Uh, But the poor somehow think, well, they signed for the uh, loan, they owe it, and they are going to face a lifetime of trying to repay debt way beyond their means, and it means essentially debt serfdom for them or debt peonage. So they're they're going to try to avoid default. They're going to try to hold on to their home by promising to make a deal with the bank, and the bank will say, okay, give us what you can. What you can is everything over eating rice and beans for dinner every night for the rest of your life. And a lot of families are uh, are going to agree to do this.
0: I'm speaking with economist, author, and professor, Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, America, Host or Parasite? I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. What do you think? generally, of the global financial situation. I know we're talking about the domestic real estate market, but isn't the whole system very fragile?
1: Yes, and it's largely about real estate. Uh, Over the weekend, the Financial Times had on page two the uh, fears about a collapse of the Latvian currency. And as I told you, I'm a professor uh, of economics at the Riga Graduate School of Law in Latvia. Uh, The problem is that uh, because Latvia has so little real estate tax, There's been a lot of money going into Latvia inflating the real estate bubble to the extent to which uh, mortgages denominated in euros or dollars or other foreign currencies are three-quarters of Latvia's gross domestic product. Well, what that means is that uh, the Latvian currency began to weaken last month and go down, and now they think that uh, Latvia has the largest uh, trade deficit of all the Baltic countries. It's financed its trade deficit, by borrowing money to lend to about 15% of the Latvians who have mortgages on their property to inflate a huge real estate bubble. Now, as the Latvian currency goes down, all of a sudden, the Latvian speculators, their incipient oligarchy, find themselves that they have to pay more money than they're getting in to the Scandinavian banks and other banks that have lent money to them in uh, denominated in euros and dollars. And so all of a sudden, the Latvians who thought they were getting... Getting rich off the real estate bubble, find that they can't meet their payments, and this causes a problem for the local branches of the Scandinavian banks, the German banks, and the other banks that are over there. So essentially, banking throughout the world is real estate. Uh, In the United States, 70% of bank loans are mortgage loans. In England, 70% of bank loans are mortgage loans. Because land is the largest asset in the economy and land prices are what essentially is being inflated in a property bubble, international finance is really land speculation. And it's able to occur because the government does not tax the land's rental value. As property prices go up, government tax receipts uh, have not kept pace. And in fact, the government has untaxed property and untaxed land price gains so that uh, investors are thinking, why on earth should I invest in industry and uh, buying capital equipment and developing markets when I can just get a free ride off uh, inflating land prices? And so International finance, basically, is the real estate bubble.
0: And where do you think this bubble is going?
1: Uh, well, all bubbles ultimate all bubbles are sponsored by government primarily, and uh, at a certain point it will collapse and the government will blame the greediness of people and the madness of crowds as if the government didn't encourage them all along. Uh, Alan Greenspan was the big bubble meister, trying to take credit for creating wealth in America, and he didn't create wealth. What he did was increase the price of housing, uh, which means the price of land, to a level where uh, many American families have to go into a lifetime of debt in order to afford the House, and this, Alan Greenspan said, was wealth creation, and what it really was was debt creation.
0: Well, now, speaking of the government and Congress, do you think, and the Democrats now control, well, they control at least the House and maybe the Senate, what do you think the government is going to do?
1: Nothing. Uh, the Democrats are acting in a much more right-wing uh, way than uh, the Republicans. Uh, the joke is that if the Democrats could uh, nominate Bush as their candidate in the coming election, they'd do it. But they're doing the nearest thing, which will be to nominate Hillary. Thorough, utterly as right-wing as Bush, uh, the Democrats would like to have Cheney as their uh, vice president, probably. But in uh, the absence of Cheney, they'll probably have his closest clone, someone like Lieberman. There's no difference whatsoever that I can see between the Democrats and the uh, uh, Republicans, except uh, always when there's a chance of the Democrats coming into office, you have to ask, where are they going to go to war next? The Democrats essentially are very much like the British Labor Party. Uh, Harold Wilson, I think, once joked, or is apocryphal, what's the point of having a following in labor if you can't sell them out? Uh, the role of the Democrats, is, uh, as for the British Labor Party, is to take office whenever there's poverty in the country and the Republicans cannot pursue an anti-labor party. So they turn over the government quite willingly to the Democrats to pursue the anti-labor party nominally on behalf of labor that uh, the right. Could not do.
0: Exactly. Now, Dr. Hudson, since uh, economics is your specialty, do you see an economic reason for an attack on Iran or even an ultimate attack on Russia, which no. is now even being discussed?
1: No, there's no, I can't see any economic reason at all. It's just pure mania. It's, a, it's an article of religion at this point.
0: Could you talk about the double standard that the United States is the hugest debtor nation and it acts unilaterally in the world? Well,
1: on the one hand, through the IMF and the World Bank, which are essentially arms of the U.S. Treasury and Defense Department, uh, the United States says if a third world country owes a foreign debt, it has to impose austerity on its population. It has to sacrifice its investment in order to pay its foreign debts, uh, most of which are dollar debts to uh, its oligarchy or to uh, dollar holders. On the other hand, when America owes money to a foreign government... It says, American interests come first. We will only pay debts to the extent that we think it benefits American policy, just as we will only engage in free trade to the extent that we think it helps America. So when it comes to trade, for instance, America will insist that other countries open their markets to U.S. farm exports, but America will not open its agricultural markets to other countries. In uh, finance, it will say the balance of payments deficit is your problem, not our problem. We're just spending the dollars. It's your problem. What to do with it? And it claims that other countries will be violating free markets if they impose a tariff on American imports or if they subsidize their exports against uh, depreciating currencies. In 1921, when the German mark began to collapse under uh, uh, the payment of German reparations, uh, America passed uh, or strengthened the American selling price system, which meant that uh, it levied its import duties, so as to increase the duty against depreciating currencies. And Europe has the same option that it could do. Europe could say, uh, we're not going to accept further dollars. Uh, we're going to either cash them in for gold, or we're going to buy U.S. companies, or we're going to use these dollars we have to buy out American investments in Europe at the price listed on their balance sheets. Uh, and we have the right to do that under international law uh... europe could buy back the american investment in europe saying that uh... we have these dollars the deficit is really america's problem The United States, of course, would uh, make a big fuss, and uh, it would essentially break uh, America away from the rest of the world. And I think ultimately that's what's going to happen. The rest of the world will find some way in which it can free itself from the obligation to turn over its exports and its industry in exchange for paper dollars. By the way, most American currency, the $20 bills and $100 bills, the Federal Reserve notes you have in your pocket, do not circulate in the United States. They circulate in Russia, in Europe, in the third world countries. Americans spend these dollars abroad, and they spend them in buying goods and services. The foreign countries do not have to accept them. The central bank can say, we have enough dollars. It's no longer a convertible currency. We'll have to be paid in hard currency, meaning euros or yen or rubles or sterling or Venezuelan uh, pesos but we're not going to accept uh, dollars. Uh, Once this happened, the whole world would be on the same standard. Every country would have to pay for its imports and would have to uh, pay its own way. This is the kind of world that underlay the Enlightenment and classical political economy. It's the kind of world that America foreign policy is designed to prevent from occurring, and the only way to bring it about is by an educational system so foreigners realize that what they're getting is the short end of the stick in international trade.
0: What if foreign countries were to cash in their treasury bills? What would they? They would just get a lot more dollars. What can or? they get for them? Right. They would just be getting dollars, right?
1: Yes. America could give them uh, truckloads of $100 bills, all shrink-wrapped, like uh, uh, they sent over to Iraq. But what can the foreigners do? Uh, When China tried to buy American companies, Americans said no. If the Europeans wanted to buy uh, an American aircraft company, for instance, or airline, the United States could say no. It's in our national interest not to let foreign countries uh, or foreigners by U.S. key industries, or airlines, or uh, public utilities, or other things, or water resources, or copper mines. And uh, these countries can say, wait a minute, you've insisted that we open our markets to you. Why can't we do the same thing uh, when it comes to you? And uh, America will say, because we're America and you're not, which isn't very much of an answer, but that's really the only answer there is.
0: Now, if foreign countries cut the United States loose, like you've described, what is going to happen to the United States?
1: Uh, They're not used to paying their own way. And uh, it's funny, other countries have been able to cope with disaster, like uh, the East Germans, for instance, were able to make do. Uh, Other countries have all had to go through poverty. The Americans haven't. So they probably are less set up to cope with a a really bad situation than uh, foreign countries are. The foreign countries can simply depend on the domestic market. And in fact, in China now, there's a big argument. Should China begin to overcome poverty by nurturing its domestic market and producing all of these goods that it's exporting to America? Really, should it sell them to its domestic labor? And should it inflate the domestic economy so that labor can afford to buy the goods that it produces? This is the argument over there. And of course, if China... Uh, produces for its own population instead of for Americans, then its living standards will go up, and Americans will have to get their uh, toys and uh, other things, uh, like American flags, to burn here instead of uh, from there.
0: And then do you feel that ultimately this is what is going to have to happen at some point?
1: Ultimately, countries will act in their own self-interest. We're in sort of a unique condition for the last 50 years when foreign countries had so much goodwill to America and also a belief that they couldn't go it alone. Uh, In England, for instance, uh, one businessman after another said, well, you know, Tony Blair doesn't really have a choice. We have to depend upon America because we're so poor, and without America, we'd run a deficit. Uh, We have to depend on the U.S. The fact is, they imagine they're dependent, but they're not really. And it's like you'd throw them into a swimming pool, they'd learn to swim by themselves, and all this productive capacity they have, they'd uh, produce for their own uh, population. America has dismantled its productive capacity, and it would be very hard to rebuild it. Uh, You can just look at the car industry as an example.
0: Do you think we're getting close to the point where other countries are going to opt out of this system?
1: There's no way of telling when the change will come until somebody presses back? Uh, I've talked to American officials and politicians again and again, and they ask that. And the answer is always the same. You don't know how far you can push until somebody else pushes back. And there's no indication of other countries pushing back right now, except for Venezuela.
0: Dr. Hudson, thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Something happened here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What it- I've been speaking with economist and author, Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show has been America, Host or Parasite? Dr. Hudson is president of the Institute for the Study of Long-Term Economic Trend, a Wall Street financial analyst, and distinguished research professor of economics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Most of Dr. Hudson's professional life has been spent in applying flow of funds and balance of payment statistics to forecast interest rates, capital, and real estate markets. Dr. Hudson has been a consultant to foreign governments, including Canada, Mexico, and Russia, regarding the need to set up an alternative center of finance to the U.S. Treasury. Visit his website at www.michael-hudson.com. That's www. Michael Hudson.com Today's program was co produced by Todd Fletcher. Guns and Butter is edited and produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako. To leave comments or order copies of the show, email us at Faulkner at Guns That's Faulkner at Guns Or visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.net. <laughs> So wake up and take control of your own cypher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper trying to steal your life you know what i'm saying look what decides yourself for peace give thanks live light, and release you dig me you got me